This afternoon we'll be examining what the church confesses in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9. And in preparation for that, I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me, first of all, to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is a a song which celebrates God's creation power and how he also sustains the world. Let's read Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it would not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, Where the birds make their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness, and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, this great and wide sea, in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There, the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. These will wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand. They are filled with good. You hide your face. They are troubled. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit. 
They are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. So far from the book of Psalms, let's also turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 19. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. The main point of the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus calls us to worship God from, from our hearts. And this also comes out beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So far the reading from God's word. Let's now take up our Books of Praise, and let's read from the church's confession, which is a summary of what God's word teaches us about God the Father and our creation. 
We've just begun going through the Apostles' Creed, and this is the opening line of the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 9, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God, and my Father. In Him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity He sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father." Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, when a baby is born, she doesn't know how strong her dad is. When a baby is born, she doesn't know how much her dad can lift at the gym. She doesn't know the strength that her dad uses when he's at work, lifting heavy lumber or operating heavy machines. But instead, when a baby is born, she only knows the warm embrace of her dad. Dad holds her gently in his arms, and and this is the first way that she knows her dad. She first knows his embrace, not his strength. But as she grows older, then she begins to learn about his strength. She learns that her dad can run faster than her, that her dad can open the pot of jam which is too tight for her, that her dad can lift those heavy things in the backyard. But because he is her dad... She's not afraid of his strength. Instead, his strength comforts her. When she lies in bed at night, she doesn't need to worry about robbers because dad is strong. When she walks through the street and holds onto dad's hand, she's comforted by his strength. Daddy is there to protect her. Well, in a similar way this afternoon, we confess that God, the most powerful, the almighty the sovereign ruler, the strongest person who has ever existed, that we confess that he is our father. The almighty creator is our father. And as our father, he holds us in his warm embrace. And it's in the context of this relationship, as his children, that we learn about him. And so his power, his almighty power, it doesn't scare us, but it comforts us. God doesn't reveal himself to terrify us, but he reveals himself, his power, so that we would trust in him, that we would trust his fatherly goodness to us, and that we would love and honor him as our father. This is a comfort that we have when we know God as our father through Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know God as your father, if you don't believe in Jesus as your savior, then may God open up your eyes this afternoon to see the beauty and the comfort of having God as our Father. Because there really is no more comforting knowledge than this, that the one with power to create mountains and oceans 
also loves me as a father. And so I'd like to summarize the message this afternoon in this way. This is my father's world. I trust in him. We'll first of all see that my father has adopted me. So in the first part of the Apostles' Creed, we we confess what we believe about God the Father. The Apostles' Creed is broken up into Father, Son, and Spirit. We begin by confessing what we believe about God the Father. Note first of all that believing in God as a Father is a unique thing. Many Muslims believe in, in a distant God, in Allah. Allah is supreme. He rules over everything, but he's not a personal God. He's a God to be feared, but not a God that is very easy to be loved. Well, our God is not like that because he has revealed himself. He's shown himself in his word to be our father. In fact, this is the central thought in Lord's Day 9. If you strip away everything in the middle of the first sentence. What it boils down to is this. I believe that the Father of Jesus is my God and my Father. So how can we say this? How can we say that God is our Father? Well, in Luke chapter 3, 38, Adam, the first man, is called the Son of God. Adam was a child of God. He was made in his image. And as a child of God, he has a special position to rule over the other animals. Perhaps, boys and girls, you remember that after Adam and Eve were created, they had the special position of naming all the other animals. So as part of their role as God's children, they were given a special place in God's creation. But they didn't obey God as children. But they rebelled against his fatherly rule. And their rebellion against their father meant that they no longer were sons and daughters, but became slaves of sin. This is a condition that all of humankind has has inherited. Humans are no longer children of God, but by nature, slaves of sin. But the gospel is that God showed his immense love for us by sending his own dearly loved son, Jesus, whom he loved from eternity with a complete and a perfect love, He sent him into this world, and then God rejected his own son on the cross, his own son in whom he was well pleased. As Jesus hung there on the cross, the sinless son of God, his father rejected him that we might never be rejected by God. But as we heard this morning, Jesus rose again. He rose for our justification, as Romans 4 says. And so he has won the victory over our sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. He's redeemed us. He's brought us back so that we can again be sons of God, sons and daughters of our Father. Galatians 4 says that God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive Adoption as sons. This is the love of God. The overwhelming, endless love of our Father. And John 1.12 says that we become God's children when we believe in Jesus. But as many as received Jesus, to them he became the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. 
And this believing, believing in Jesus, this is worked by the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So because the Spirit lives in us and works in us, we're able to call God our Father. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are sons of God. And this is only possible through our Savior, Jesus. And this is the gospel in Lord's Day 9, that Jesus died and rose so that our relationship with God can be restored so that we can again be called his sons and his daughters. So that God, the creator, could adopt us as his children. Isn't that a beautiful truth? This afternoon we read from Psalm 104. I invite you to turn there and to hold it open. We'll be going through this psalm somewhat. But Psalm 104 is is a song which, which celebrates creation. It celebrates the power and the wisdom of God in the way that he's made the world. And notice how the psalm begins. The psalm begins with these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Now maybe you notice that Lord here is in all capital letters. This is the covenant name of God. The psalm is addressing Yahweh, the covenant God, the God who has revealed himself to be in relationship with his people. And so then this relationship is the context in which God reveals himself to be the powerful creator. Because we learn about God as a child learns about her father. We learn about God from the comfort of knowing his relationship with us, from the context of this covenant relationship. And so we consider the greatness of God, we consider his power, his majesty, knowing that he's our father through Jesus. In the context of this relationship, God's power is comforting for us. Otherwise, his power would be terrifying But when we examine it from the perspective of faith, then it leads us to greater trust in him. And so as his children, let's behold his power in the creation of the world. We'll see in our second point, my father created and governs the world. Catechism says, the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them. Now, this is an astounding confession which really boggles our minds, doesn't it? Because we are such material creatures, we're so bound by time and space, this is the only way we can imagine thinking. We can't imagine what nothing is like. But this is what the Bible teaches and this is what faith believes, that God created everything out of nothing. Hebrews 11:3 By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Once upon a time there was nothing. Then our father spoke and a beautiful world began to exist. The depths of the Georgian Bay, the pockets of trees with their colorful green display which are all around us, 
the majesty of the night sky. This is how powerful my Father's word is. He speaks, and the world is created. And our Father has never withdrawn his power ever since he's made the world, because all of life is sustained by his power. It's in him that we live and move and have our being, as Paul says in Acts 17. God continues to give life and breath to all his creatures. And so we confess that God not only created the world, but that he still upholds and governs it. Because he didn't make a world and then leave it. He's not like a clockmaker who makes a clock to run according to certain rules and then starts it ticking and walks away and leaves it. When the clock keeps ticking and the clockmaker walks away, no, the world is not like that. And nor is the world governed by fate. The idea that everything has a predetermined outcome. It doesn't matter what you do because it's already been determined by fate anyway. Well, no, we confess that our Father upholds heaven and earth. He remains personally and actively involved in it. He's not distant to us as his children, and nor is he distant from the rest of creation, but he actively sustains and governs it. And we can see that clearly from Psalm 104, which really shows the power and the control he has over the world he's made. Verse 2 says that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Think about that image for a moment. In Psalm 8, the heavens are referred to as the work of God's fingers. When we, look at, when we look up at the sky and we see the endless blue, it makes us realize how small we are. But the sky is tiny compared to God. He just stretches it out like a curtain. This is a word picture which helps us to begin to grasp just how big our Father is. You thought the sky was big. Well, my father made it, and he is way bigger than the sky. He is the powerful creator, the one who has laid the foundation of the earth. And he's also appointed boundaries in creation. Verse 7 says that at your rebuke, they fled. The waters fled. At your, the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You've set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. So our father determined the shoreline of Lake Huron. He determined the boundaries of the Bruce Peninsula. I haven't yet been to Lion's Head on the Bruce Peninsula, but I've seen some pictures of the impressive rock formations, the jagged cliffs. It reminds me somewhat of, of my hometown in, in Australia where the ocean meets rocky cliffs, and the water batters against those rocks, wave after wave, sending spray high into the air. But these rocks are God's boundaries for the ocean, over the natural world. It's as if you can hear the voice of the rocks above the sound of the crashing waves, a voice saying, this far you can come, ocean, but no further, God has put me here to hold you in. So the boundaries God has placed over creation show his control, his perfect control as he continues to uphold all of creation. And so the psalm gives us a beautiful picture of the scope of God's power. 
because he has power over the big things, the foundations of the earth, the mountains, the edges of the sea, the great lakes. But he also has power over the small things, over the little birds that live in trees. You see that in verse 10 to 13, that he cares for every creature, even the birds, the many water sources, the springs in the valley, the oases in the desert, rivers and streams. These are all placed by our Father to care for his creation. Verse 27 says that these all look to you, that you may give them their food in due season. You open your hand and they are filled with good. God provides for the small creatures in his creation. Not only does he give them food and water, but he also furnishes them with a home. Verse 16 to 18, show that God allows his trees to flourish as, as places for the birds to make their nests. That wild goats are given a home in the high hills and rock badgers live in the cliffs. God has given each of these creatures a home in his wonderful fatherly provision. No creature escapes his care or his notice. My father takes care of all of his creatures. What a loving father he is. I was reflecting on this during the past week as I was driving along one of your beautiful roads through what seemed like almost a tunnel of trees, the overhanging branches filled with soft green leaves and and just blossoming the fullness of life. I just wondered how many leaves there were just in that small road of trees, in that small tunnel of trees. How many leaves? And to think that God gives life to every one of those leaves, that he uses them to make homes for the birds, to give shade to animals, and then to give nutrients for the soil when they fall off the tree. God knows every one of those leaves in that small tunnel. And to think that this is just a small pocket of trees in a small corner of a massive world that we live in. God has control over the smallest leaves and the most impressive rocky coastline or mountain. How great is our God, our Father. I'd like to notice one more thing from this psalm, and that is that God also has control over timing. Verse 19 to 23 that he's appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. God is the one who made time. He made months, he made days, and he controls the timing of every event inside those times, the seasons. And everything is conducted according to his perfect timing. Just reflect for a second on how good our Father has been to us this past year in giving us a milder winter and an early spring, just when many of us have been forced to stay at home and not see many people. God is in control of the seasons. He's in control of the timing of all events. So we can see then from Psalm 104, the abundant provision of our God, his perfect control over his creation and his continued care for it through his almighty power. This is the power of our Father, And brothers and sisters, we can know that God uses this same power to provide and care for us. As our Father provides for the birds who live in the maple trees here in Great Bruce, so he provides for us. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. 
For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God uses his power to care for us powerfully. And John Calvin said that without the certainty of God's providence, life would be unbearable. If we did not know that God was governing all things, we would always be worried about bad things happening to us. We would worry that we'll have a car crash on the way to work or that our house would burn down or that one of our family members would contract a terminal disease. And without knowing God's providence, there would be no relief from such worries. But because we know, brothers and sisters, that God governs all things, that he gives to us our every breath and that he manages the highways, he controls every flame of fire and he is the one who gives health then we can submit to his perfect rule, to his control. Because he is not only 100% in control, but he is also 100% wise and 100% good in the way that he governs the world. How manifold are your works in wisdom you have made them all. You know, God's power and his control. That would be scary if we didn't have the confidence that God was using it for our good. We would be terrified if God was only power. But remember how we began this sermon, that we learn about God as his children. He is our powerful father. And so we don't need to be afraid of his strength, but it actually comforts us to know that God controls all things by his providence. Because if, on the other hand, we confess that God was good and and wise, but had no power then that wouldn't be much good either because then he wouldn't be able to carry out any of his good and wise decisions. No, we believe in a God who is both all-powerful, 100% in control, and at the same time, he is perfectly wise and good. And this knowledge leads to a complete trust. Because just like a child will not understand what his father is doing, so we will not always understand what our father is doing. There are times in our life when we might have questions, when we see only a limited view of what is happening in the world. We don't know what God is doing. We might ask why. But knowing him as our father, brothers and sisters, means that we can trust him despite uncertainty This is expressed with the language of complete trust in answer 26. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he'll provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. No doubt. This certainty is a language of faith. Because as we saw last week, a sure knowledge of God leads to a firm confidence in him. When we know God as our Father, then we, when we know his power, his wisdom, in, and his love in how he orders the world, then that leads to a perfect and a complete confidence, trust in him. It doesn't mean that we'll never have sorrow. It doesn't mean that God will protect us from broken legs. It doesn't mean that Christians will never be depressed or that we'll be spared from sickness. No, in fact, the Bible tells us that we can expect suffering in this world, which is still groaning under the curse of sin. Suffering, it's a normal part of life. The Catechism says 
We live in a life of sorrow. Life of sorrow. It's a realistic picture of life, isn't it? Perhaps you're feeling the weight of some sorrow right now, even as you're listening to this sermon. I think it's fair to say that the last year has brought significant sorrow for many of us. Well, God's providence doesn't mean that we'll have a comfortable life, a life with no hardship. But the knowledge of God's perfect control, His power over every detail in our lives, and the knowledge that He is our Father through Jesus Christ, that gives us the comfort we need to endure, to persevere, and to continue to trust Him. We may not have a comfortable life, but we can live every day in the comforting knowledge of God's providence. And we can have this comfort because we know that God uses all of the bad things that happen for our good. We see this with the eyes of faith, just as Joseph who said to his brothers in Egypt, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know, note here the certainty, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the cold according to his purpose. History has many stories of good coming out of evil, of how God uses bad situations for good outcomes. But the story which shows this most clearly is the story of the cross of Christ. An innocent man was condemned to death. This was a terrible injustice. In his sermon on Pentecost Sunday, Peter said to the Jews that Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God determined that the cross would happen. It was part of his eternal plan to save sinners. Because even though Jesus was crucified, put to death by lawless hands, God used this for ultimate good. God used this, as we've seen in our first point, to make us his sons and daughters. At the cross of Christ, there we see God turning a terrible injustice into the greatest good. And because we know that this is our God, this is our Father, nothing can separate us from the love that He has shown to us through His Son. Then we also know that He will turn to our good, whatever adversity He sends us now. Bad things don't happen outside His control, but even they will serve His good purposes And so we can rest completely in Him. We can trust Him as a Father. His power in creation, it doesn't need to frighten us. It doesn't need to scare us because He holds us in His everlasting arms. In fact, the power we see in creation comforts us because we know it's the power of our Father and He uses it for our good. We do not know what the future holds, even though there are some things we may really want to know. We are mere children and we are limited in our knowledge, in our foresight and in our power. But we know, brothers and sisters, that God is our Father, that He uses His power to direct all things for the good of His children. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the world, the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let earth be glad.
Amen.